I had fun with this lesson today, and I hope we'll have fun together tonight, studying it together. Help, my child hates me, right? Oh, man, that'd be awful to hear that from your child, and yet many times as parents, that word can be used from time to time, and it's not a good thing. It's a very scary thing if you hear that. But tonight we're going to talk about, as I mentioned this morning, nurturing our children. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. I guess make sure everybody have notes and all that good stuff. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4. But let's go ahead, if you have your Bible, turn over there so that we can look at the first few verses because verse 4 really flows out of verses 1, 2, and 3. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. So in verse 4, we have a command to the fathers, to the parents, right? To bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. But this command flows right out of, logically out of verse 1 and 2, where children are to obey their parents and honor their parents, having the right actions, right? Obedience and the right attitudes, honoring to their parents. And if children do that, the Bible says that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. Of course, this is a repetition or a continuation of a command that was given to the children of Israel way back in the Old Testament. It was given uh, one of the Ten Commandments, right? For children to obey their parents, to honor thy father and thy mother. That's the fifth commandment. Then it was repeated again in the book of Deuteronomy. And here we have it again repeated for us in Ephesians chapter 6. So if children are to obey and to have the right attitudes, then it is incumbent upon us as parents not to provoke them to wrath, instead to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Last week we looked at the story of Eli, about a man who was not engaged as a parent. He may have seen the sin that was going on in the lives of his sons, but he did nothing about it, and he was a passive parent. He did not focus on seeing and bringing about heart change in their lives. Rather, he tried to ignore it or let it pass by. And it came back and was an awful end for his children and for him. But the reality is that if we're going just for behavior modification with our children, we won't see lasting results that we desire. And we may make our children very frustrated with us or even hate us. And I put that word in my notes in, in quotation marks because this is something, a word that we often use and we throw around at times, well, I hate this or I hate that, but don't often use it the way the Bible talks about hatred. And, and hatred in the Bible is a very, very, very strong, strong word. But the reason I use that word tonight is because in verse 4 of Ephesians 6, it talks about not provoking your children to wrath. When our children are full of wrath, hatred might be one of those things that go along with it. So if we're not going to provoke them to wrath, the Bible says instead or but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. To admonish is something, right? To tell somebody what's right. To admonish them. This is what you need to do. But that word nurture is not a word that we use all of the time. So as you have your notes there, nurturing our children. What is nurture? What is it? Well, nurture refers to the whole process of training, teaching, educating, and cultivating the life of a child. It includes the care and development of the mind, the morals, and the body, and it involves both proactive teaching and training as well as correction and chastening. So if we are to nurture our children, it's this process of teaching and training and educating them, of bringing them up. I think of it like if you're a gardener and you're trying to grow a plant or a, a tomato vine, you have to feed it, you have to water it, you have to 
fertilize it. You have to keep the weeds away. If it's a vine, you're, you're training that vine to go up a tre- trellis so that it holds on to something and has the proper support that it needs. You're taking care of all of those things for it. It requires forethought, right? It requires effort on your part. It co- requires planning. It requires a lot of work. So what does nurture look like? What is this thing and how do we make it happen with our children? Well, it looks like finding opportunities to teach our children through the natural conversation and events of life. It looks like when a few weeks ago one of my children said, hey dad, why can't I be a deacon at the church? And I said, well, this is an interesting question. And you know, your first response, I have all these sarcastic answers because that's my natural response, which is generally not the right response. But uh, I have all these sarcastic thoughts popping into my head. But I thought, no, this is a good teaching opportunity. So I handed him my Bible and told him where to turn there in Timothy and Titus. And we looked at the biblical qualifications of a deacon. We talked about it and Pretty soon, he realized on his own accord that he wasn't quite yet qualified to be a deacon. The one he really got hung up on was the one where it says, a husband of one wife. He said, Dad, I have to have a wife? I said, well, that'd be a good thing, but uh, you're just not quite there yet, buddy. But you're getting there one of these days. Those good teaching opportunities. Or uh, one of my sons who says, well, why did you pick mommy to be your wife? You know, out of all the women in the world, why did you pick... Pick her to be your wife. Well, another great opportunity to nurture and to teach our children. When children are very young, they come automatically to their parents because they have no one else to go to, and they cry out, and parents take care of their needs. And as they get older, we need to continue to be the ones who give them the answers that they are looking for. They have many questions, so we have an opportunity to give them the answers. I think this is true with our children and as parents. Children should hear the truth from their parents first. If you have to wait for them to hear it someplace else, you're behind. If, if you're the parent, they need to hear the truth from you. You have the responsibility to give them the truth. That's what the Bible says in Ephesians 6.4. Bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. It's not the church's responsibility to train your children. It's your responsibility to train your children. It's not the educational system's responsibility to train your children. It's your responsibility to train your children. All of us as parents have that responsibility that is a God-given responsibility. Turn in your Bible over to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Because we're going to look at a passage of Scripture here that I think gives us some wonderful insight into what nurture looks like. Deuteronomy chapter 6, and verse beginning in verse 6, the Bible says, And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. So God had spoken to the nation of Israel. Here's the things you're supposed to know and remember and do. And verse 7, And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. So when should we be teaching these things to our children? All the time, everywhere, wherever we go. We have a little fun thing we do at our house sometimes at night when we're having our family devotion time before they go to bed and our kids enjoy it right now. They're going to grow out of it one of these days, but right now it's a lot of fun because they get a little restless sitting still and listening to the Bible story and talking about those things. So I'll say, when can I learn God's word? And they'll all jump up out of their seats and and they'll say, when I walk by the way, when I sit down to pray, when I lie down at night, when I rise up in the day. And so they walk by the way and they get down like they're praying or sometimes we say playing and then they lay down like they're sleeping and then they love to rise up in the day. And I sit there on the couch at the end of the day thinking, I'm glad I'm not jumping around like that. But it's a good way to get their energy out. But at the same time, what am I trying to do? I'm trying to nurture them and teach them the truth that they can learn God's Word and the truths of who God is wherever they go and whatever they are doing, and that God's Word is applicable in every area of life. 
So he says to be diligent to do this. Take careful attention. Work hard at training and teaching your children and do it wherever you go. Talk about it when you're sitting in your house. Oh, today we struggle with that because so many times as we sit in our house, we have some form of media or technology that's doing much more the speaking than we are. The television's on or the cell phones are on or everybody's busy doing their own thing and there's not a whole lot of teaching that happens like it used to because we've got so much other noise in our lives and we need to turn off some of that noise and some of those distractions. You say, but my kids are going to be bored. Yeah, they're busy. Keep them busy doing good things. I have taken more than one missions trip with teenagers, and I can't tell you the number of teens I've had who didn't know how to sweep a floor, who didn't know how to do basic things like wash dishes and clean up. And I think, this is just stuff we did growing up, and it's stuff that my kids do now. And what do kids do all the time? And you say, well, is that biblical stuff? Yes, it is biblical for your children to learn how to work and learn how to take care of things and provide for things and do things decently and in order and all of that stuff. Obviously, those are very, very basic things, but I used to come away from those trips as a youth pastor thinking, if parents aren't even teaching them this stuff, then I'm sure they're probably not getting even the more important things of life. Teaching when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, right? Uh, We've been many places as we're traveling around, driving around town, going to the store, whatever it is, and we'll see something. Sometimes it's a good thing, sometimes it's a bad thing, and it brings up wonderful opportunities to teach and wonderful opportunities to give instruction. When you walk by the way, when you lie down, oh, right before they go to bed, what a wonderful time to spend time in prayer. What a wonderful time to spend time teaching them God's Word, that they would go to sleep and the last thing on their mind is the songs that they're singing or the verses that they're learning or the Bible stories that they're listening to and not all of the other distractions of this world. When you lie down and when thou risest up. Boy, first thing in the morning, start your day off with the Lord. I'm so thankful, even though sometimes I get up and leave before everybody's going around our house. My wife is going through different devotionals with them in the mornings, and and they're learning things, and they're growing, they're memorizing scripture, they're working on it. It takes effort, takes work, but it's important. It's valuable. He says in verse 8, And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand. Thou shalt be as frontlets between thine eyes. The, The Jewish people would take little pieces of scripture and written on little pieces of parchment and they would put them into these frontlets, these little boxes that they would put on their foreheads or sometimes they'd put them on their arms and they would carry God's word with them forever. But he's saying it's not that carrying God's word on your body is so important, right? He's not telling us just walk around with carrying it with us. It's not somehow magical if, I, if I'm carrying this book around that it's going to make a difference, but that it's with me and that I'm opening it and reading it and learning it and studying it. One of the good ways to do that is to memorize God's Word, isn't it? So that God's Word is always with us. He says, write them, verse 9, thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house and on thy gates. If you go into a, a Jewish home today, you'll see their little marks there on the posts or their door as you go in as they have a little symbol representing the Word of God and, and that they are followers of Jehovah. But in, I would say in many, many, many cases now, as they have that on their door, it's just a religious symbol and it doesn't mean anything to them. Oh, how we can fall into that same trap, though. That God's Word, that family devotions, that whatever it is that we're doing that should be a good thing becomes just another symbol of something rather than actually meaning something to our children. But he says then in verse 10, And it shall be when the Lord thy God shall have brought thee into the land which he sware unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to give thee great and goodly cities which thou buildest not, Houses full of all good things which thou fillest not, and wells dig which thou diggest not, vineyards and olive trees which thou plantest not, when thou should have eaten and be full. Then beware lest thou forget the Lord which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. How could they forget the Lord? Well, if they didn't teach it God's word to their children, right? 
The parents, they were going to remember what had happened. They had come out of Egypt. But those children who were born in the wilderness, they didn't know unless their parents told them about it. Our children won't know the truth unless we teach it to them. Pass it down. He says in verse 13, Thou shalt fear the Lord thy God, serve him, shalt swear by his name. Ye shall not go after other gods of the gods of the people which are round about you. And that's the reality, folks. Today we look at our world and we say it's a wicked world. There's all kinds of bad influences. It was a wicked world back then too. There were all kinds of false gods and idols and things that people could easily be pulled away into worshiping because that's what everybody else was doing. We live in the same world today. If we let our children just sort of raise themselves and take care of themselves, they'll do whatever they want to do instead of us teaching them the truth. He says in verse 15, For the Lord thy God is a jealous God among you, lest the anger of the Lord thy God be kindled against thee and destroy thee from off the face of the earth. Ye shall not tempt the Lord your God as ye tempted him in Massah. Ye shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God and his testimonies, his statutes which he commanded thee. Verse 18, And thou shalt do that which is right and good in the sight of the Lord, that it may be well with thee, and that thou mayest go in and possess the good land which the Lord sware unto thy fathers to cast out all thine enemies from before thee as the Lord hath spoken. This is what nurture looks like. It is the process of teaching and training my children the things that God has taught me so that, it, that the relationship that I have with God doesn't stop with me that it's passed down to my children and to my grandchildren and to my great-grandchildren. How many of you are first-generation Christians? Anybody, you're the first person in your family to come to Christ? A couple of you, okay. How many of you are second-generation Christians? Maybe your parents were saved, but your grandparents are not. Okay, we've got a few more there. How many of you are third generation? Maybe you don't know when you get back third or fourth generation. Okay, a couple of you, Shandy's family's that way. Billy, I would guess that there's, I mean, there might be. Is anybody more than that? You'd say, oh, no, as far as you go back in the generation of our family, everybody has followed God as far as we know. Anybody like that? Okay. If you have, that's a wonderful thing. That's a blessing. Not something to be ashamed of by any stretch, of course. But isn't it interesting that even in just a room like this, we're sitting in church on a Sunday night. You know, this is the people that come back to church twice on Sunday. And yet, for the most of us, we had several first generation, several more second, and then third, and that's about it. Why? Because at some level along the way, it doesn't get passed down. And when it doesn't get passed down, when there's a failure to nurture in the biblical truth, in a sense, you've got to start over again. You've got to start over again. Why do churches close? Well, somebody was talking to me about this week. We've had a number of churches close in this particular neighborhood in, in, in over the last few months. Why? Well, stop teaching the truth. Ultimately, they stop reaching their children and their children's children. They start reaching their neighbors, their folks around them. Nurture. What does it look like? It looks like Careful teaching and training wherever I go about the truth of God's word and passing it down to them. That next blank there, short view parenting builds behavior, but long, long view parenting builds belief. If all you're trying to do is parent for the short term to fix a problem right now, you might change their behavior, but the goal is to change their belief, that they would believe in God so that it becomes a generational thing. What a blessing it would be to be able to see your grandchildren someday serving the Lord. Great-grandchildren. And that's completely possible with the Lord's help. That's not some impossible goal that no one can ever have. It's very possible, but it requires every generation of parents taking responsibility for their children and passing that down generationally. So I want to deal with a topic tonight, speaking about nurture, 
And I think it fits along with this because I want to talk about an issue tonight or a subject that is a real challenge, I think, when it comes to nurturing our children through. If you're kind of looking through the next blanks, maybe you can figure out what it is. I want to talk about the idea of purity, specifically when it comes to our physical and mental purity in helping our children in this area. The reason I want to deal with it is twofold. One, I think it's a great example of something we can nurture our children in. So I think it's instructive as an illustration of lots of different areas because we could take every area and say, well, how do we nurture them through this? How do we nurture them through that? And we could spend weeks and months and years talking about those things. So I wanted to pick one that I think is a rather challenging one for a lot of people and a difficult one, something that I'm in the process of thinking through and going through right now. So it's, this is partly to help me too because uh, we're going through these things or in the process of beginning these things with our children as well. So I want to give you some biblical thought and some practical advice when it comes with dealing with purity. And so it's one, an illustration of what nurture looks like in a broader sense, but two, it's, it's the idea of focusing on this specific issue to hopefully find some biblical instruction for us as we deal with this area of purity. Here's your blank. Two great protectors of purity. Two great protectors of purity. I think we would all agree as parents that this area is one of the most challenging areas in our culture today as the world becomes more and more wicked as all kinds of impurity is more and more available for viewing, for partaking in, and it becomes more and more a public thing, right? Uh, from, I saw some, a statistic from 1998 to today, the number of inappropriate scenes on television has more than doubled. It's just everywhere. It's on prime time. It's, it's in, in movies. It's It's everywhere. How do we protect our children from this? A recent study um, when it comes to the area of teenagers said by age 15, 13% of teens have been in an inappropriate relationship. By age 19, 70% of teens have been in an inappropriate relationship. 70%! That means there's only three that somehow weren't. The average age for the first inappropriate relationship for boys and girls is 17. Each year, almost 750,000 15 to 19-year-old young ladies become pregnant. So what do we do about this? Why don't parents talk to their children about this topic? Or what are they saying? And why isn't it working? Well, could be a number of reasons. One might be non-communication. Some spouses don't even talk to each other about this issue. It's just not talked about at all. Another reason might be a family culture. Well, my parents never talked to me about these things. Or misguided Christian values. Some think that as a Christian, this area of purity is shameful and shouldn't be spoken of. And nothing could be further from the truth. God's word is full of teaching on this topic. Or false assumptions. We think, well, they already know what they need to know. Well, they, they already, they, they'll, fig, they'll figure it out. Fear. We don't know what to say, how to say it, or when to say it. That's me. Okay. Ignorance. We're naive enough to think that they aren't thinking about it. Past guilt. We feel guilty over our own failures. Well, how can I teach my children when I've failed in this area myself? Or indifference. Well, we just plan to let them just figure it out for themselves. There may be other reasons, but I think these probably encompass some of them. So two great protectors of purity. What's the first one? The first thing that protects purity is the truth. The truth. John chapter 8, verse 32 should sound familiar if you were here this morning. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Right? The first thing that protects purity is the truth. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 22 says, Flee also youthful lust, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Or 1 Peter 2.11, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust, which war against the soul. What is the truth? 
fleshly lusts, they war against the soul. We can help to protect our children in this area of purity by giving them the truth. And remember, our children need to hear the truth from us first. The second thing that protects in the area of purity is approachable parents. Having the attitude, you can ask me anything and any time, and I will give you a biblical, transparent, and truthful answer. Parents, if you have not already done this, it would be, it doesn't matter what age your children are, it would behoove you to sit them down and probably many times remind them of this, that you can ask, say, you can ask me anything, anytime, about any issue, and I will give you a biblical, transparent, and truthful answer. That'd be a wonderful agreement to have with your children. They may be asking you some things when they're five that are different than when they're 15, but that's okay. You want that same relationship between them that you're going to talk about these things. So, how do we talk about it? How do we talk about this issue of purity? Well, first of all, we need to choose the right time and age. This is one of the biggest questions that you might get on this. Well, when do I talk to them about it? When is it appropriate? At what age? And I would say as a blanket statement, before anybody else does. Before anybody else does. Now, as, as a parent who's approaching, my children are approaching these ages and working through this, this is something that I put, had to put a lot of thought into. This is something my wife and I have talked quite a bit about lately. This is something as a youth pastor that we dealt with all the time. Because the reality is, folks, our children are hearing about these things at earlier and earlier ages. You say, well, I, I really work to protect them. I, I hope, hope that you do. You should. You should absolutely shelter your children. I think that's a good thing to do and protect them. But we live in a very wicked world. It wasn't too long ago we were driving down the road. My son made some comment about a billboard that he saw on the side of the road. Well... I didn't know the billboard was going to be there. So we had, a, had to have a little bit of a conversation about those things. But it's very important. Have these conversations with them before anybody else does. And we can talk about it in a series of conversations. So it doesn't all have to happen at one time. Let me help you understand what I mean by this. Choosing the right time and age. Well, first of all, there may be a sort of protection phase, right? That would be the, perhaps the elementary years. Now, if your child has already been exposed to something beyond what you would say is appropriate for their age, you may have to go more in-depth with them because they already know some things. So you need to go back and deal with some stuff. And as a youth pastor and talking with parents, we've had to deal with issues with abuse and various really awful situations and things like that. And so some of this changes, okay, understand, depending on the particular situation. But I'm dealing with this kind of in a general sense tonight. If your child's grown up and they've been sheltered and protected about some of these things, so perhaps the later elementary years may be the time when it's appropriate. For your child, it might need to happen even earlier than that, depending on who they're around and the influences and and the other people that they're around. Sometimes you can protect them from certain influences. Sometimes they're around certain people that you have less ability to protect them from. So tell them enough about the issues and about purity to protect them from wrong influences and situations. You don't need to seek to awaken their curiosity, but rather to protect them, to realize there's bad things and bad people out there, people that are, may try to do something to you or, or treat you in a way that's inappropriate and help them understand what that looks like and that that's not appropriate. And if they ever hear of anything or see anything, that they should talk to you. Remember, you're trying to establish yourself as the one with the truth, with the answers. And hopefully, as the parent, you have God's word, so you do have the truth. You do have the answers. But you're protecting them early on and, and beginning to have those simple conversations so that you're preparing them to know that you have the answers as they begin to have more questions. One thing I know my dad always told me 
or has told me now, he said one thing that he always thought of when we were younger is, he said, I always try to think of where, the, where my kids are going. Where's the next stage that they're going to be at in life? Try to help them prepare them now for what's coming next. Instead of waiting till they were already in that age or stage or difficulty or challenge to then try to deal with it. We want to be proactive parents, not reactive parents, right? So we have the protection phase. Secondly, uh, and again, this may fall in the teenage years, might be later elementary years. Your child, your situation may be a little bit different, but the connection phase, giving biblical, well-reasoned answers. Trying to brush it off like it's not a big deal or that it doesn't exist or telling them things that aren't true. I've heard all kinds of things from people. Well, my mom told me if this happened, then... And it was some made-up thing that's not even true. Folks, we need to be honest with our children. Be truthful with them. And one thing we can do is we're helping them with this. Guard their entertainment and their media choices. Guard them around their friends. Help to understand what's going on and where, what situations they're going to be in. As they enter those teenage years, they may have a little more freedom. They may be over at somebody's house. They may be in somebody's vehicle. They may be in a place where you don't see everything that they see and you don't know everything that is happening there. And so be very careful to guard, these, guard the types of influences you allow into their life and help them understand. Again, remember, we're not trying to provoke them to wrath. We don't want our children to hate us. Help them to understand why you need to guard them. People don't always enjoy being protected from things, but help them to understand why they're being protected, that there is a danger out there, that the devil is a roaring lion seeking about, or walking about seeking who he may devour. Guard their entertainment. Help them answer the different questions that they have by finding out what God says not just what you say is the parent. It's very helpful. Hopefully, you've already been teaching them God's Word, right, from the time that they were little. But going back to the authority of Scripture is always a wonderful thing to do as a parent. What does the Bible say? When I have the authority of Scripture, this is something that's far beyond my Authority, so the connection phase. Thirdly, there may be the preparation phase. These might be the pre-marriage months. This may be when you get into even more detail about different processes and things. Probably by this point, you've already dealt with a lot of the biology and, and a lot of the you know, basic facts of life and these kind of things. But as a dad with a son, you may be sharing some things with him to help prepare him for when he gets married so that he doesn't go in having no clue about what's going on at all. That's really hard for a, a new marriage, for a son if he doesn't have a clue, or for a daughter to not have a clue. And mothers, you can help with that as well. The preparation phase. So first of all, we need to choose the right time and age. Secondly, we need to choose the right approach, right? After when do I tell them or when do I need to talk to my kids, I think the second question that often get at, gets asked is, well, what do I say? Well, how specific do I get? Well, again, a good principle to always remember in your speech is what the Bible says in the book of Ephesians, to speak the truth in love. To tell the truth, but do it in love. Here's some wonderful passages of Scripture that uh, you can write down here. You have some of them in your notes, but let me just give you what they're talking about. Proverbs chapter 5. Verses 1 through 6 teach us about what kind of woman will bring a young man down. Verses 7 through 14, you may need to add these in. They didn't all make it in there. Verse 7 through 14 teach about the consequences of such sin and to avoid such women. Verses 15 through 23 teach about a pure marriage relationship. So really in Proverbs chapter 5, you have a whole primer or instruction manual, if you will, on how to deal with this. You say, well, it's with sons, with women. You can take the opposite and use the same with your daughter as well. It works both ways. Or uh, Proverbs chapter 7. This gives us the complete story of the process of temptation, physical temptation, and how one man wrecked his life by going after a wicked 
woman. Genesis chapter 24 gives us a clear picture of a loving biblical relationship. Isaac and Rebekah, they were pure before their marriage. They kept themselves for one another. They were godly. They honored their parents. Judges chapter 14 teaches us uh, how the uh, Samson, how he was out of control in his passion and how that led him to an awful place. Or 1 Kings chapter 11 talks about how unrestrained desires ruined the wisest man that ever lived. God's word is full of truth on this. And what's great is you can take your Bible and open it up with your child and read the passage of Scripture together with them and have open, honest, truthful conversations about it. Because, folks, at the end of the day, it's not just biology that we want them to understand. We want them to understand good theology, right? We, we want them to understand the basics and, and how things work, and, there's, and that's part of the process of having this conversation, but we need to understand, help them understand, well, what does the Bible have to say about it? Teach your teen the truth, not just biology. Teach them the purpose. Right? What's the biblical purpose of this kind of relationship in marriage? Well, procreation, intimacy, comfort, and yes, pleasure within marriage. So we can help our children learn these things and learn the truth. Much better for them to hear it from us than from their friend or somebody else that's not going to give them the truth. Here's some practical tips. I'll try to go slowly enough. We gave you a bunch of blanks. going to work your hand out here a bit. Number one, the answer should fit the question. Right? When your child's little and they ask a question, there's not always, you're, you're not there to awaken some curiosity and, and thing that's not there yet. Right? Just answer the question that's asked. Number two, and this is very important, I'm thankful for parents that did this with me, initiate the discussion. You be the one. That requires being proactive. And that's the scary part, right? It'd be easier in some sense to wait for them to ask us because then we know, oh, now I can say it. We're afraid, well, am I going to start too early? It's never too early to start talking about truth with your children and what does the Bible say. But we can be appropriate with where they're at physically in their life, right? There's not a, a, a necessity to teach them all of the biology when they're a, a brand new little child. But as they get older, they're going to need to learn things. They're going to have questions about themselves. Help them understand why God made them the way he did and what he did it for. But be the one to initiate the discussion. Number three, prepare your teens for the battle against temptation. All right? little test. How do you battle against temptation? Anybody? What are some ways we can fight temptation? As teenagers, as adults, what are some things we can do? Yes. Okay. Run away from it. That's what Joseph did. Memorize God's Word. That's another one. What are some other things? Yes, sir. Yep, resist the devil with the truth. Flee. Yep. One other one that I always encourage our young people to, and, and this is wonderful to do with your teens as they grow or your children, help to keep them accountable. You know, talking about these things on a regular basis and asking them questions, it's not a bad thing to do. That's a good thing to do. Helping to keep, give them accountability. And it's not just, folks, when we're dealing with temptation, it's not just this one particular area of purity. It's anything. Sin. How, how do we defeat Satan? We, we need to know God's words. We can fight him with truth. We need to flee or resist the devil and then walk with the Lord. Pray. Ask God for strength. Get accountability. Okay? Number four, be relaxed and sensitive. You think this is a hard conversation for you. Imagine what your children must be thinking. <laughs> it's a difficult thing. But you can help them because they will, their response to it in a lot of ways will be determined by how you approach it. If you come into it really nervous and not really wanting to talk clear about it or trying to obscure things, then that will most likely be their response to you as well. 
Be relaxed and sensitive. Number five, create an approachable atmosphere in your home. It's not just about this particular issue, about everything, right? Remember, we're using this as not only to talk about this particular issue of purity, but in a broader sense about nurture as general. I want my kids to come to me with their questions. So how do you do that practically? Well, don't be so busy you don't have time to answer questions. Put your phone down. Get out of your chair. You know, get out of the bed. Whatever you have to do, turn the TV off. Be approachable. Listen. I'm too tired of this and that. Well, someday it won't matter if you're tired or not because they won't be around the home. This is your chance right now. Be approachable. Number six, take advantage of teaching moments, right? When there's a question, when there's a situation. Oh, we used to have such fun in my family when I was growing up. I remember as an elementary student and then as a teenager and then even into college and Still to this day, when we get together as a family, we had so many teachable moments, and we would laugh about things and talk about things, and dad and mom would give instruction on various things, but we, d we had so much fun in doing it, because something would happen, or there would be a situation come up, might be with somebody in our family, might be somebody in a different family, might be something that one of us as kids did, it might be something that dad had encountered at work, or mom had come up about, and it would just come up in the family conversation, and they would use that as a teachable moment. I learned lots and lots and lots of things through those conversations. It's not like mom and dad had prepared an outline. It's not like they sat down and said, all right, we're going to study for this message, and all the kids sit down, we're going to preach to you now. No, just teachable moments. That's so true in every area of our Christian life, isn't it? Discipleship, while we love to do our study through our book, it's, it's just life, touching life and helping that person to grow in their walk with the Lord. Number seven, use correct terms without being embarrassed. Different things have names, and it's helpful to use those terms because we need clarity in our communication and be truthful in those things. They're going to hear them from somebody else if they don't hear them from you, and that's not just a threat like, well, you're here. They need to hear it from you. You're, you have the opportunity to teach them. I don't want to sound like, well, they're going to hear it from somebody else, so, so it's like a threatening thing. Like if they weren't going to hear it from somebody else, then they wouldn't need to hear it from me. They need to hear it from you either way. Give them a positive paradigm of the sexual relationship within marriage. Some people, well, it's just always a bad thing. No, help them understand why it's a wonderful thing. Something God created. No, number nine. Be appropriately affectionate with your spouse in front of your children. Not talking about being inappropriate, but I don't mind if my children see me kiss my wife. It's okay. Give her a hug. Hold her hand. I want them to know that I love her. Don't be embarrassed about your own relationship, number 10. And number 11, be biblical, not just clinical. If you miss some of these, I can give them to you afterwards. Be biblical, not just clinical. Help them understand the why. Satan loves to take the things that God has created that are beautiful, wonderful things and turn them into really bad things. Think about it. Who created music? God did. The Bible even talks about the music of the stars. There's music in creation. But doesn't Satan love to... Music is one of the tools he uses to teach all kinds of bad things to people. Because he likes to take good, wonderful, beautiful things and turn them into awful things. Is physical beauty something that was created by God? Yes. To bring glory to Him, yes. But do people sometimes use their physical beauty to try to bring glory to themselves or to 
cause someone else to be tempted to do wrong. Yes. Satan loves to take God's best things and try to twist them and turn them into bad things, but it doesn't make them bad. Right? Music is not inherently bad. So the re- response is not throw out all the music. The response is have music that pleases God. The response is, well, don't be beautiful, be ugly. No, the response is use your beauty to bring glory to God. The response is these relationships within marriage are bad. No, the response is make sure we understand what God says about how to use them well. Number 12, give them a truthfully negative paradigm of immoral relationships outside of marriage. We need them to understand that there is a negative side. But be truthful about it. Don't make up some crazy story just to scare them that's not truthful. You say, well, I'm keeping them from doing wrong. Yes, but if you're doing it by lying to them, they're going to figure out that you're lying. And you're not going to be helping them. Be truthful. Always be truthful. And then letter C there in your notes. Choose the right context. So we've said to choose the right time and age, the right approach, and the right context. Make the event memorable. Some people will go to a restaurant. Some people do other things. Now this may be for a very serious part of the conversation. But again, please understand, this is not just a one-time thing. This is something, this is a teaching process that's going to take a number of years. And it should. I mean, did you learn everything about your walk with God in one sermon at church? No. Did you learn everything about obedience to God, you know, one night at a revival meeting and you just got right with God, and then it was all good. No, it's a, it's a series of conversations. Choose the right context. Help to make it memorable. Choose a private setting, right? The goal is not to embarrass them. This isn't the, all the guys sitting around the campfire and the one poor 12-year-old, 13-year-old boy sitting there and everybody's giving them manly advice. That, that's not going to help him very much. It's just going to serve to embarrass him. Private, private. That's a good thing. Letter C, dads talk to sons, moms, or dad with mom talk to daughters. Now here's a note, if you're a single parent, consider, it's not that you can't have a conversation with your son if you're a lady or a daughter if you're a dad, but it's helpful to have it be the same gender because you understand the physical things of your gender better than somebody of the other gender does. But, If you are a single parent, consider enlisting the help of someone who's the same gender as your child, who's a spiritual mentor to help you talk to your child. It's okay. Again, these aren't bad things. These are good things. We're trying to help teach them. If it would help you as a single parent, consider asking someone to help you with that. And then letter D or number four, make make any place right for follow-up questions and conversations. Because remember, if you're the one initiating the conversation, you may catch them a little off guard. Well, do you have any questions for me now? Uh, no, <laughs> I don't think I ever want to talk to you about this again, right? <laughs> okay, well, let's follow up. And, and, and you initiate some of that follow-up. And then as they have questions, things come up and things happen. Let them know that's okay. We've already had this with some of our boys and Shandy's told him, now, if you have a question about things, you can talk to Daddy anytime you can talk to me. And she'll say, you know, one of the boys wants to talk to you about something. And so we'll say, well, what do you want to talk about? And we'll go in my room by ourselves and, and just talk. Or we'll go away somewhere just to have a conversation. And it's fun. It's special times. It's great bonding time. It's good things. We're not to provoke our children to wrath. There are many things in this world that are harmful to our children. And if we approach them in an unbiblical way, in an inconsistent way, or just don't approach them at all, we can very easily provoke our children to wrath. There's already so much harmful things in this world. Let's make sure that we as parents aren't 
the thing that's harmful to our children. And some of you know. And some of you have been around parents. Maybe some of you have had parents that were harmful to you. I always enjoyed getting together with other youth pastors and we would talk about our youth groups and talk about what the Lord was doing and different things like that. And oh, there were some times as people would be joking, say, boy, youth ministry would be great if it wasn't for the parents. You say, well, that's a really sad statement. And I, I remembered, I, I would laugh about that and then I'd realize, wait a minute, you would have no youth ministry if it wasn't for the parents. Somebody had to birth those children into existence that could grow up to be teenagers and all that. So I am thankful for parents, but unfortunately, many times there were lots of challenges when it came to the parents because what they were hearing at home wasn't biblical. It wasn't backing up what was being taught at church. And so it was frustrating to the teens. Many, many times I've talked to teens who were very upset or crying or very serious or struggling because they said, Pastor, I want to do right, but this just isn't what is going on at my house. I remember a few years ago going to pick up a teen for an activity, and as I pull into his front yard to pick him up, I can, I'm sitting in my car, and I could hear his mom who went to our church. I could hear her cursing at him inside the house, and I'm inside my car. And a few minutes later, he comes out to get in the car with me. That was kind of an awkward moment because he knew it was so embarrassing to him that his mom, who she went to church, she was a member of the church, and people thought she was a nice person, that that's how she was at home. So many things we can do as parents if we're selfish to provoke our children to wrath. Let's be honest. Let's be open. Let's be truthful. Let's nurture our children. But that requires a dedication and a commitment to me making sure my relationship with God is what it should be as a parent so that I can help my children. Don't expect your children to have a relationship with God that's better than yours. Make sure your relationship is what it needs to be so that then your children can follow in your footsteps. I like what the Apostle Paul wrote as he was writing to one of the churches. He said to them, to follow me as I follow Christ. And I hope that would be our, our uh, goal as parents. Our goal as Christians. Our goal as disciple makers. My goal as a pastor. Your goal as a, as a husband or a wife. A Sunday school teacher. Follow me as I follow Christ. Father, I pray that you'd help us as we think about these things and Lord, we look at the giant responsibility of nurturing our children. We've only talked about one area of nurture tonight, but Lord, we know there are many, 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 far more than we could cover in just a few weeks' study like this. But Lord, help us as parents to, and future parents to dedicate our lives to a right relationship with you, to seeking and searching your scriptures, as you've said in your word, to study, to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Help us to love our children and love you enough to study out the truth and to compassionately and confidently and carefully share the truth with our children. Bless our fellowship time this evening. We thank you for your work in our lives. We thank you for the precious gift of children. Well, we know, as you've said in your word, they are an heritage, a gift, a blessing, a treasure from the Lord. And Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.